Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, welcome back. Hope you're having a good Tuesday so far. Today we are looking at Psalm 17, and we're going to do a short devotional out of this psalm today. I wanted to look at this psalm from the perspective of it revealing to us several key attributes or characteristics about God through the lens of suffering or pressure or outside stress and circumstances that David, the writer of this psalm, happens to find himself in. But he, as he reflects on his circumstances and who he is in relation to God and who he expects God to be to him in these circumstances, we see several important character traits of God highlighted. And so starting right at the beginning in the first five verses of this psalm, we see the Lord as judge. Specifically, though, in two different ways. In verse 3, David prays, You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. So David is reflecting first that God is judge of the heart, the inward heart attitude, the inward man. God knows the thoughts of the heart, as scripture says. But God also judges our outward actions, which we see in verse 4, where David writes, With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. And so the Lord, from David's perspective, is properly the judge of all mankind, not only of our outward actions, but also of the innermost intents and thoughts of our hearts. And that's an important and key distinction, I think, especially in a day and age in a culture like ours, where most people would define their relationship by God, if they're not a Christian, by being a quote-unquote good enough person. And if we ask people, how do we define that? What does it mean to be a good person? Most people are going to point to outward actions to say, well, I've never done X, Y, or Z. I've never murdered someone. I've never stolen something. I've never cheated on my spouse or what have you. But what David recognizes, and rightly so, is that our outer actions are only one aspect of of who we are and of what God is rightly and properly the judge of. It's also our inwardmost heart attitudes. And I think this is what Jesus was getting at when he took the standard of the day and he raised it to a whole new level in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you've heard it said, quoting from the, the teaching of the rabbis and Pharisees of his day, and then raising the bar, raising the standard and saying, but I say to you that it's not just about outward action, do not murder, do not commit adultery, but I say to you 
who even looks at a woman with lust in his heart for her has already committed adultery. Whoever looks at his brother with hateful intent has already murdered him in his heart. And so our heart attitude is just as important. And I think if people start to back up and really give some careful consideration to the state of their heart attitude, even if their outward actions maybe pass muster by most people's standards, we will all quickly realize that none of us are up to snuff when it comes to the innermost heart attitude, our our inner man. All of us, as Paul writes in Romans, have fallen short of the glory of God. And David recognizes this, and he he says that God tries the heart and he tests the, the actions. God is properly the judge of all mankind. Now, David is not reflecting on this as someone who is expecting to receive judgment, but as someone who is under unjust judgment. And he's he's noticing this about God and praying this to God as a way of, I guess, reminding God, hey, you are judge of all people. And there are some people in my life who are treating me unjustly. And that sort of flows right into the next aspect about the Lord that David writes about, which is the Lord as protector or refuge. And we see this in the the main chunk of this psalm is verses 6 through 12. We see specifically, though, from David's perspective, how God is his refuge, how God is his protector. First in verse 6, David says, I call upon you for you will answer me, O God, incline your ear to me, hear my words. David expects that when he prays, God hears. And not only does God hear, God answers. That is a important distinction because just as a way of comfort uh, personally, if we are going to be praying to God, we better expect that he hears us and that he listens and that he answers. Because otherwise, what is the point of prayer? That the part of what makes prayer so effective and so amazing is that God is personal and that he not only hears the prayers of his people, but that he responds. And that we see over and over again throughout scripture that it is on the basis sometimes of the prayers of God's people that God chooses to act and to intervene and intercede in specific circumstances. And so God answers, and that should be encouraging to us, especially if you're someone who is finding yourself in a position where you really feel like you need to lean into God as your refuge, as your protector right now. Another way that God demonstrates this aspect of who he is is that in verse 7, he shows his love and his favor toward his his own. Uh, David writes, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And then he also, and this sort of takes it to another level in verses eight and nine, we read about how God surrounds. In uh, verse eight, he says, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence from deadly enemies who surround me. And this is an interesting picture, I think, where in verse 9, we see David is noticing that his enemies are surrounding him. But as he has run to the Lord as his refuge in verse 8, he's asking God to sort of hide him and, and 
encircle him. And so the picture is, yes, my enemies are surrounding me, but God is surrounding me even more closely than my enemies are and and even could. And it's this picture of like concentric circles, if you if you want to think of it in that way, where yes, my enemies might be around me, but God's even closer around me. And those enemies are not going to get to me except by going through God, or in other words, through his will or his express permission. And this gets into the uh, defensive aspect of how God then can can protect his his own at times in verse 13 because we see the Lord as warrior. In verse 13, David says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Speaking of the wicked man, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Now, this is also a reference, I think, to not only the the, the, the sword of the Lord, I guess we could say, is a way of referring to how Yahweh has at times in Israel's history fought battles on behalf of Israel where they didn't even have to lift a finger. And they just found that uh, the Lord had delivered the battle into them. He had killed their, their enemies before they even needed to do anything. Or when he went before them as part of the battle, I'm thinking of Jericho in particular. But also, I'm reminded of this this, uh, notion as it pertains to the angel of the Lord, which, again, we've talked about on the past, has some aspects of the the visible Yahweh, that the angel, the angel of the Lord, was more than just any run-of-the-mill angel. The angel of the Lord is directly equated with Yahweh himself in many passages in the Old Testament. And oftentimes we see the angel of the Lord depicted holding a sword. We see this in the story of Balaam and the donkey. We see this when he appears to Joshua. And Joshua says, whose side are you on? And he basically tells Joshua, you misunderstand. You're on my side. Uh, he is the commander of the host of the Lord. And so we see the Lord as warrior here, that God is more than capable of defending and vindicating his people. But David leaves that up to the Lord. He does not take for himself the responsibility or the task of meeting out justice and punishment for his enemies. He says, Lord, that's up to you, and should you choose to do it, I pray that you would. And then finally, we see in the last two verses of this psalm another aspect of who the Lord is in the midst of our trials and our suffering, and that is the Lord as king. Ultimate blessing is up to God in the end. And what I find so interesting about these last two verses is not only David's very insightful observation about the way and the nature that the the nature of how earthly blessing can look or appear to us, but also the eternal perspective that David seems to have here. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, speaking of these wicked men, that that God will deliver uh, him from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. And then he goes on to say about these men, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children 
and they leave their abundance to their infants. Now that doesn't seem at first glance like God is meeting out punishment. He's not confronting and subduing the wicked, is he? It seems like he's blessing the wicked. And yet, notice how David sort of turns this and concludes in verse 15. But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Notice what David is saying here. I think this is so profound of an insight, and it's really important. He's saying that, yes, the, that the, the wicked people in this world, in this life, may appear to be blessed by God. They may have what seems to us to be everything that they could ever want. They might have wealth. They might have family and, and legacy. They might have abundance by the world's standards. But you know what? You know what we have as the people of God and as his children? We have God himself. That when you compare that to all the worldly and earthly and temporal blessings of this life, there's no comparison. Yeah, they have all that treasure and they have all this earthly glory. But you know what I get to see? I get to see the face of God. I get to be satisfied by being in a relationship with God himself. And that is not to be compared to anything else that we could seek or, or obtain in this life. So even though in the moment it might seem like the wicked have it all, without God, without God himself, they have nothing. And David recognizes that. He says, you know what? This might be the only paradise that these wicked men are ever going to know because they're going to enter into the life after without God. And no matter what I could have in this life, it would just pale in comparison to knowing God and being in his presence. And I think that is, as I said, an incredibly profound insight into what is really, truly important. And it is I think a great reminder that we all can use to be reminded of on a regular basis. And so in this psalm, we see, I think, some very interesting and important character traits and a character study of God as he relates to us in our trials and in our suffering. The Lord is judge. We can rest in that. He is also our protector and our refuge. And at times, he is a warrior on our behalf, and we can rest and and leave justice up to him as such and ultimately he is king over all of creation and even though it might seem like he is overlooking things in this life the ultimate eternal perspective will show us that he is sovereign over how he chooses to bless and who ultimately has the real eternal blessing and that is those who will spend eternity in the presence of god himself he is the greatest blessing that you or i could ever hope to obtain 